making sure that people clearly understand what their role is, that's the common language. The what do we believe in, who are we, and why are we here? I'm Scott McGrew. Welcome to Sand Hill Road. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be Continued at scs.georgetown.com. Dot edu slash podcast. The very first thing I remember walking into Talent on the first day was, what is it going to be like working with a new group of people that I'm starting over with uh, new relationships? That's Crystal Beamont describing her first day, not just the first day as CEO of data company Talent, her first day as CEO of any company. And my very first day, I remember walking out thinking, I've just met the most amazing people that were extremely welcoming and very gracious. And it just was an, it was a wonderful day. So I felt right at home right away and felt very welcome. It is amazing. Even as we get older that, that the first day kind of does seem like walking into a new school, you know, will they it like does. me? Are they nice? Yes. It really is kind of the same. The basic things, Scott, it's just, you know, the basic, you know, principles of just human nature and relationships and fitting in. And those things are, I'm, I'm hyper aware and hypersensitive to, because they're really important to me when I think about what an ideal company and company culture looks like. Now, Beamont had the challenge every new CEO has. How will Wall Street react? How will customers react? Turns out they both reacted really well. Just weeks after she took over, Talend reported first quarter results. The stock was up, revenue was up, and then... You remember that timer that used to run in the TV show 24 with Kiefer Sutherland? Yeah, that. As you walk in on the first day as CEO, we now know, you know, if we were doing a video of this, we'd have a little clock timer in the corner counting down, right? Because mm -hmm. here comes the pandemic. You are a first-time CEO that gets hit by a pandemic, you know, a month or two after, after she starts. That must have been just an enormous shock. 
I didn't know it was coming. <laughs> I have to tell you, I don't know if everyone else knew and I was the only one that didn't, but at that moment in time, I knew that there were things happening with our, some of our APAC offices. And that's uh, Asia Pacific. I just didn't Pacific. realize. Yeah. Yes. Asia Pacific and some of our Beijing offices and so forth. And in China, I did not realize the magnitude of what was getting ready to hit us. So you're exactly right. And it, it really is, it just hits you right in the face of now what do we do and, and how, you know, the, all of the uncertainty and, you know, people looking for questions and quite frankly, no one in the world had the answers on, on a lot of topics. I, I remember I, you know, I reported that at one point there were more people under quarantine in China than there were people in the United States. And I've just thought it was sort of interesting, you know, anyway, yeah. I, I, you know, reported that and I'm like, well, I'm moving on. Let's take to look at Tesla right. stock or whatever. And you look back and they go, hold on. Why oh didn't you gosh. not figure that out? Yes. <laughs> Why didn't we figure it out? I do look back and I think how that how come that didn't I guess just we've never experienced anything yes, like it. It complete was just black unprecedented. Yeah. <laughs> you're right. So then you're leading your company from your dining room table. Or where do you lead your company from? <laughs> you're right. Well, I happen to take this approach that if I move into different locations around the apartment I live in, then it will be a little bit of a, uh, you know, change of scenery. And I, I literally do that. I'm, one day I'm at the island, one day I'm in the office, the next day I'm at the dining room table. Today I'm at the dining room table, so you're right. So I'm leading it from my dining room table. <laughs> so how do you lead a multinational company from your dining room table? Well, look, everyone's been, you know, faced with this. I have the great fortune, I guess, looking back, not knowing it at the time, to have spent the last almost 20 years working remote. So I have never worked in an office for, for as long as I can remember. And that has given me, one, um, a great perspective on what's possible, two, a huge uh, appreciation for how important it is to be um, very intentional with your communication and to know what kind of toll it takes on a person working from home. Because I think the thing that now everyone understands is that working from home is not easier. It actually never leaves you. So you don't get right. up and leave the office. It stays with you. And I, and I understand some of the, the ramifications of that. A lot of your talent being a CEO or anybody being a CEO is gut instinct. Your company helps other companies make decisions based on data. So if data is the way to make a great decision, where does your gut instinct fit in? Hmm. Look, I think data is a piece of it. And, and what's really interesting is there was a report just recently that I think I'll tie these two in very nicely. Data is at the heart of everything. It really is a validation and a way to, to start looking at things through a completely different lens. It, it, it tells you what's possible in some ways. But at the end of the day, humans need to be involved to some degree, I believe, because they're one the ones making the decisions, the critical business decisions. But if you look at a report that IDC recently put together, they call this new generation, Generation D. And the concept is that Every person is a data is is responsible for data or will become a data um, manager, if you will. Every person in every company and maybe around the world in every every situation manages data, and so the importance of people interacting with data to put a view or lens on it as well as to decide whether they trust it, but also to govern it because a lot of people touch data that ends up being put in the hands of someone to make decisions, and so instinct is part of it. 
and then experience is is the other part of it. I think it it that'll never go away, and that is the one thing that machine learning and and AI, you'll always need people, I believe, to some degree, for that outcome. So, what does a typical day look like for you, other than sort of moving around the apartment? Well, it's it is a moving around department. As a global organization, uh, it starts early and ends late, uh, mostly to try to catch people that are in our Asia, uh, in our EMEA offices. Um, then middle of the day, North America, and end of the day, Asia Pac. And it really is centered around thinking about how are people doing, um, how are we doing at performing a core uh, strategic tasks within our business that that will transform our business. How do we, you really look at solving different kinds of problems and big problems for customers that either um, aren't on our radar right now or are, and we need to further refine those strategies, just really pushing the envelope on ways that we can add value to our customers and our future customers. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. You mentioned culture is important to you, but, you know, your headquarters is in France. And by the end of the day, you're talking to Asia. Um, <laughs> how do you have a company culture when you don't even have a common language? <laughs> a lot of companies are like this. And the one I just came from, I was running a role that was very similar. It's speaking the same language doesn't always literally mean that, in my opinion. It's having a common language as far as the things that you're trying to do. Who are we? What is our, our identity as a company? Um, what are the problems we're trying to solve? Why are we important to the ecosystem? Um, making sure that people clearly understand what their role is, that's the link, the common language. The What do we believe in? Who are we? And why are we here? Really mission, vision, purpose. And it's that's the important stuff that you know, that translates to every language, but that's our speaking the same language definition. As someone who's worked from home from, you know, throughout her career and someone who manages offices that are far flung anyway, I'm guessing your long term plans may involve more employees staying home. I think it's certainly possible. It, what it's really done for me is one, I believe that it's it's I've, I'm a testament to that it's possible. And my career has not been impacted. My output, um, it's forced me to be better at certain things that I don't know that I would have been. Communication skills that are you know virtual. So I know it's possible. I think what this gives us now is an opportunity for things that are really important to me, and I think are important to a lot of people, which is let's look at what's optimal? Let's have more flexibility. Let's look at, meaning optimal for employees and the business. Right. If we can have higher productivity and higher performance and people can have better uh, work-life balance, I'm all in for that. I'm signing up. If there are ways for us to run the organization and make sure that people feel that they are supported and they can work in ways that are more conducive to them living the life that they want to live, that those are things that are really important to me. I think this is an opportunity. I wouldn't have chosen it, but if since it's here, I will say let's look at it as an opportunity to reevaluate. And I think we'll see a blend 
I don't know that it will be one thing, but I do think we'll see a blend of, of outcomes. I think it's going to be difficult for some companies, and you work in data, to, to understand whether it is optimal or not. I mean, do you right. adjust the employee evaluations if work at home lasts forever? I mean, other than salespeople, it's going to be hard to evaluate people when you can't see them. The The coder who writes the least code is technically better than the coder who writes more code. Um, how do you measure this is working? Uh, well, first of all, we, we started with putting a baseline together. And I wouldn't say this is everything, because I think there's a, a couple of other pieces I'll add. But when we when we started out and realized, kind of we were talking about before, when we really realized what was happening, we developed a, a core set of, of foundational principles that by which we would develop our own decision-making and, and analysis for how well it's working. And it really came down to physical health, let, are, are people safe, and our customers and our partners who are critical to our ability to be successful. And th that's the first one. Everyone was facing that. The second one, very quickly, mental health, mental and emotional health, knowing that this was going to take a toll that goes beyond work. And I would say people are not working from home. People are dealing with a pandemic and happen to be at home working. And yes. that's a very different thing than working from home. And the third thing was, how do we make sure that we not only um, manage the business in a way that, that is to the, to the expectations of our shareholders and others, but how do we have a, uh, continue to have a mindset of, of transformation so we come out of COVID, whenever that is, stronger? Those are foundational things that we measure to check in and see how each one of those are going. But the thing that I think is really important here is this is a forcing function to intentionally check on people and to have discussions that maybe otherwise you wouldn't be having. So again, I think it's what do you believe in? How are you going to um, how are you going to interact? And what are the things that are important to you to measure? I look at productivity. We see a lot of people say, oh, we've had great productivity increases. I think some of that is very true, and I think it's very valid. I worry that some of the productivity increases are people are working 14 and 16 hours a day. And they haven't got anything better are, to do. Yeah. Well, this is the thing. And then also, there's it, that's not realistic and that's not sustainable in most cases. And there are moments in time where people do put in those hours and need to or, or maybe possibly need to. But I look at that and say that's not healthy. And so if we are seeing a productivity increase for those reasons, I want to be very cautious. If we're seeing productivity increases because it's cutting down on two hours of the commute now allows me to do an hour work that I wouldn't have been able to do, or I'm traveling for an entire day to get somewhere that I can perform the same thing at the same, you know, level of productivity. Those are the kind of things that you really start to say, what do you mean by productivity and how are we seeing it? So each one of those are, are very carefully looked at and intentionally thought about. I haven't heard somebody th mention that before. You're, you're absolutely right. I mean, if you can't go to a movie and you can't go to a restaurant and you've already done your morning run, and if you've exhausted Netflix, you might as well go back to work and, and work on something. And maybe those numbers <laughs> are somewhat false. I think there are some false indicators of productivity. And then if you think about it, if you are a global company, people are never off anymore. You know, they're, they're, right. we're around the globe. We're almost 24-7, follow the sun. And it's not only that just that there's nothing else to do, but days are blending into weeks and months. And people, you know, people are even time isn't even as, as defined as it used to be. So time just seems to be a continuum at this point. It has become a state of I'm awake or I'm asleep. Those are the two <laughs> things that define someone today. 
Your children are adults, mine are too. So uh, you yes. live alone, I live alone. Is there a point in which you just, you know, I mean, when you do go to the store, you just enjoy talking to the grocery store clerk? Well, it's funny because I love talking to people. So this is this is probably going to be one of the biggest challenges from a personal perspective is I am a communicator at heart. I love having the conversations. I think it's a lost art, quite frankly, of stopping, looking at someone in the eyes and having a conversation that's meaningful. And that is that's an engagement that we're we were losing anyway. And I fear that will be even even further um, diminished. So I love I love interaction. So I, you know, you find alternate, I I do think that we're on video calls so often that people are text from the video calls. Um, One of the things that I believe deeply in is something called a walk and talk. And it actually takes you off of the video call. I, I got it from a book called Tribe of Mentors that I love. And it's basically what you do is you schedule it. I have it very intentionally scheduled with my regular one on ones. And if I need to be in front of the computer, I have to know in advance. Otherwise for my recurring one-on-ones, we each get up and we take the phone and we walk and cover the same uh, content. I have found that to be just getting up out of your chair and walking. It's just a different kind of energy. Are you, are you basically describing a phone call? <laughs> I might be describing Scott. Scott, that is actually what it is. I am I am a mobile walking phone call. <laughs> You're right. I, I I do realize that is what it is. <laughs> but you know what's you've probably heard that so many people are just sitting in front of Zoom meetings. Oh gosh, these days. all day. All day. It was fun yes. at first and then the cocktail was yeah. fun at first uh, at right. the end of the day and then now it's just so repetitive. Now a lot of uh, CEOs, you know, say, Oh, I've got an open door policy, or you might run into a an employee, an entry-level employee, you know, on your way to the cafeteria or something, and he or she might buttonhole you for a second. Hey, I've got a concern. Hey, I've got an idea. I don't see someone, you know, in this far-flung worldwide corporation calling you up like you had an open-door policy. Like, you've never met me, and and I just started here, but hi, I'm going to call the CEO. (laughs) But he or she could have done it in the hallway. Mm. Well, I... I'm a big believer in executing on or realizing, actioning open door policy. And actually people do do that. Not as many as I'd like, quite frankly. Um, Again, you have to remember where I came from. I have never worked in an office. So I don't know anything other than a reach, you know, someone reaching out. So what I've done here is I've had, you know, obviously what I think of probably a lot of people do, which is open, you know, open uh, Zoom sessions where everyone can jump on. Mm-hmm. But but beyond that, I've gone around to each of our, what would have been our offices, anyone that's part of our Sydney office, anyone that's part of our Beijing, Tokyo, each one of our office locations. And I've had specific meetings for them to meet in smaller pockets and, and with different lines of business. On each one of those, I say, Slack me, email me, call me. I want to hear from you. And I say, and I say this every time, I really want to hear from you. And some people do it, but more often than not, people don't. And I say that to them intentionally. And it's interesting because some of my best conversations and how I learn about what's really going on is people, there is always one or two. And those are the things that I really, really highly value. But you have to be intentional and you have to mean it. You have to genuinely mean it and want it. And it's really critical to the things that I've learned here. 
Yeah, you've got to, and the employee has to screw up the courage to call the CEO. Yeah. <laughs> they do. That's they tough. Do. That's tough. You're a software company, not a hotel company, an airline, some of the industries that have been hit so much harder. Does that protect you from the recession to some degree? I realize you can't give me a company forecast. You've withdrawn guidance for the year, but I'm just talking about, about headcount and, and, and the, the health of the company in, in general. We are in a in a different situation than some that are in the travel and leisure, and as you mentioned, some of the you know, some of the industries that just have been hit so hard. We have a very diverse, both geographically, size of company, industries, uh, customer base, and addressable market. That puts us in a position that's much different than, unfortunately, some that just don't have that that fortune. The you know the situation, quite frankly, is digital transformation. Some of the things that we were talking about earlier, we. People need to now re-instrument their businesses. And so in some ways, we've become even more important because it's, a, it's not just an opportunity like it was before to transform your business or to have the digital um, means by which you can navigate and, and, and innovate. Now it's a requirement. And people are trying to not only innovate, they're trying to figure out how to stay alive and how to re, um, kind of like reform mm-hmm. their company in some cases. You're from uh, Missouri originally? I am. What did you bring in from good Midwestern? I'm, I'm kind of Iowa, Illinois. Uh, what mm. what Midwe- Midwesternisms did you bring to, to California, or are you truly a Californian at this point? No, I, and I sp- I've spent a lot of years in Chicago between growing up in, in you know, in Missouri and, and still Midwest in Chicago, but really truly Midwest in, in Missouri. It goes back to what we were just talking about in terms of stopping and talking to people. What is just kind of in me and it's like part of my DNA and part of my wiring is the need and the uh, level of importance that I, I find in having relationships and having an, a, a stopping and just speaking to people, even random strangers. You don't find that as often in Chicago or California. In Missouri, when you're growing up, you you just have that interaction. You stop and talk to anyone. And I believe really deeply that those are important connections to still have in our society that we're missing. So I've brought that. It kind of goes back to that open door policy. I really, really want to have those kind of conversations, especially with the people uh, that, that I'm leading and working alongside. When you came to Talend uh, from SAP Concur, you, you brought leadership team with you, and you've been asked about this by a lot of journalists. Uh, you brought two women with you. And if, if I remember my coin flip math from junior high, the chances <laughs> of both of your choices uh, being women is 25%, which is, you know, it's not likely, but it's hardly a shock. But it's something that you've been asked about many times. I have. It's so interesting because when I was first asked about this, I was total. I was completely taken back. I was. I was thinking, why am I being asked about it? And then I was like, oh, because they're female. And and it really. I know that that sounds maybe um, like something that shouldn't have been such a shock to me. But I have to tell you, it was because I'm very deliberate and very thoughtful about the problems that I'm trying to solve and and what I'm trying to solve for. And I was trying to solve for bring the best people in here that can hit the ground running and can bring this amazing organization that I've just talked about, you know, to the place that I know it can go. And I was literally laser focused on attributes of things that had nothing to do with gender. (laughs) And and that is a truthful statement. (laughs) Yeah. And I really, I didn't even occur to me though, because I just working to solve for the thing that we're, and then when they were, I was like, this is really a thing. And I, and then I was like, okay, 
Yes, it is stop. It is a thing. And it, it is something that's, um, because it's a topic of conversation and interest, I realize my role in this now is to look at it from a slightly different perspective to say, this, this is something that does need attention. At first, it was a little off-putting because I was thinking, I don't want to take away at all from the things that these two amazing leaders bring to the table and focus on their gender. And that still stands true. But what I do believe now, and I, I, have it, I see it through a little bit of different lens, is this is important because not enough of this happens. And so first and foremost, it's, it's what they bring to the table and their skills and their reputation capital. And, and it is a good point to say this is important to make sure that we're diverse in, in general. Diversity brings so many amazing things to an organization. And it goes back to what you said, Scott. This global footprint that we have, I value it. I highly covet it because every theater, but also every single individual within this company, I want who they are. I don't want all of the same. I want who those individuals are as authentic individuals that come from certain theaters and different background from people that come from Missouri or people that come from um, Seren or Nantes in France. I want them. And, and that's really important to me. And so diversity is, is really an important thing that I think we do need to do a lot more work to not just fill a box or fill a quota, but do it for the right reasons because you're going to get amazing outcomes. Crystal Beamont, CEO of a multinational working from her dining room table. Sand Hill Road is produced by Sean Myers under the leadership of Sarah Bueno and Stephanie Adruni. For more interviews with Silicon Valley's most influential entrepreneurs, check me out on TV at Press Here. That's Sunday mornings on NBC Bay Area and everywhere in the world on iTunes and at PressHereTV.com.